In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We read in the Gospel of St. Mark that Jesus said to them on that day, when evening had come, let us cross over to the other side. And sending away the crowd, they took him just as he was in the boat. And there were other boats with him. And there arose a great squall, and the waves were beating into the boat, so that the boat was now filling. And he himself was in the stern of the boat, on the cushion, asleep. And they woke him and said to him, Master, does it not concern you that we are perishing? Then rising up, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind fell, and there came a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you fearful? Are you still without faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? In this passage, we see how the winds and the waves are buffeting against the boat of Peter. And it is a very appropriate time, actually, to consider this very passage because in the past few weeks we have seen how the boat of Peter, the church, has been buffeted and really battered by many waves. Unfortunately, we have come to the knowledge as a, as a church of many scandals, which we are all aware of. First, early in the summer, former Cardinal McCarrick and all the scandals around his past. And then, as if that was not enough, we also learned from the state attorney of Pennsylvania how so many priests have abused so many people, a thousand people or so, over the years. And lastly, I think another bombshell, if you will, with the testimony of Archbishop Vigano, who accuses even the Pope of having lied and having covered up the McCarrick situation and even asks him or demands that he resign as Pope. These waves of scandals really are something that can leave us, you and me, trying to be faithful, ordinary people, in in a kind of perplexity. And we can even ask our Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to the church? What is happening? Are you in the boat, Lord? We may think, are you with us? Where are you? And somehow our prayer perhaps is 
what we say at Mass, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, because the sins of men are really tainting the reputation of your bride, the church. The bride that you wanted to be completely beautiful and clean and without stain or wrinkle, as you say in Scripture. And yet we see the exact opposite. We see evil and we stand before these scandals in fright and horror and 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 sadness and anger how are we to recover the sanctity that you lord meant to be in your church and how are we also to save so many people and to do justice to the people that were hurt the victims of all these things these are the people that that really are innocent and they entrusted themselves to the church and to these people of God who who have you know not really responded on their behalf and not really represented Christ for them in so many cases what should a child of God you and me we we want to reach holiness we we want to do the good we have good intentions how are we to respond to all this and and then also how are we to clot the wound before the world who sees the church as something perhaps evil or or maybe even people want to leave the church because certainly these scandals are everything but a motive of credibility in the divine dimension of the church well these are very tough questions these are very tough questions and they require a lot of prayer and silence within our hearts to be able to listen to the Holy Spirit in order to get an answer for them. Here in our prayer today, I would like to suggest ways that we can actually turn perhaps our sadness, our our anger, especially our anger, I would say, at all this, into a prayer to God. We can do this first and foremost, I think, by realizing that somehow this time of difficulty is a time of justice and mercy, both at the same time. It is a time of justice, and that's why the truth needs to come out. The more the truth comes out, the happier we should be. Because if people have sinned, the truth will set us free, both from the sense of the perpetrator and the victims. The perpetrators actually need to come to terms with what they have done. And it is a kind of mercy to be able to actually come to grips with sin, with my sin, while I'm still alive. And why? Because it is better to make up for it now than in the next life, in purgatory 
and it is better to make up for it now than in hell forever. Certainly. And therefore, the fact that these things are coming out now is somehow the mercy of God, having mercy on the perpetrators, but also justice for the victims themselves. And in another way, also mercy for the church as a whole so that we can learn from this and actually put systems in place to prevent it. And yes, systems are needed. Certainly, action is is called for, not just words. A lot of people that are aware of this, they ask me, well, what should I do? Because a lot of people want to get involved into actually making sure that these systems are set in place so that this does not happen again. You know, people want to have guarantees and they want to recover the trust that has been lost. They certainly are asking for an investigation to take place to see what happened with the McCarrick issue. You know, who knew what when, people are saying. They, everybody wants to know that. And I think it is only natural that we want to know the truth that we desire an explanation as to who exactly was responsible for all that. Other people have asked me, you know, should I, well, somebody asked me, should should I leave the seminary? Because if this is what the church is about or the priesthood is about, I don't, I don't know if I could continue with this. You know, that's a very tough question. Or somebody else said, should I give money to my diocese because this is, you know, probably all the money is going to go to paying off a a settlement, you know. Is that reasonable? Or should we unite ourselves in petitioning the Pope, you know, and making a campaign against the Pope so that he come out of his silence, so that he give an explanation to the church and and people are, you know, mobilizing other people and things like that. Well, all these things are obviously debatable. These things may be appropriate in some cases. Obviously, we have the right and perhaps duty to tell the Pope what we think is needed for the Church at any one moment. And we can always write to the Pope, right? We can always tell him our opinion. And we certainly have the need as a church to take action against all these people who have perpetrated the law and the law of God and establish systems where people can you know, report perpetrators and, and so on. But we need to look higher because the cause is not technical, just like the solution cannot be technical. We are not fighting flesh and blood, as St. Paul says. All these measures that we can think of are akin to perhaps Peter taking his sword and trying to solve the problem of Jesus' crucifixion, so to speak, with his sword and his savviness in following Jesus at a distance so that you know he doesn't get too involved and then maybe he can go into the courtyard and then sneak in and and see what he can do and, I don't know, bribe him out of the the sentence or whatever. You know, it's all human. 
and it's all depending on Peter's astuteness and his strength. Well, we're in for a surprise because we're fighting not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. These, this is the devil that really is the ultimate cause of these things. But he introduces the temptation slowly into our ears and then we have readily fallen into it as a church. There's a culture that has been created, a culture of unchastity and also of cover-up, you know. And, and it's certainly a, a, a perfect storm and a terrible combination. It reminds me a little bit of David when he sinned in the Bible. All his this problem started with chastity. And he didn't guard his eyes with Bathsheba. And he committed adultery and then murder. And then he tried to cover it up. And he lied to himself by thinking it was not, not real. Because to all appearances, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, died in battle. Of course, he had put him there to die, to be killed on purpose. And therefore, he was guilty of murder. First adultery, then murder, and then lying to himself, covering it up, in his own conscience even, which is kind of absurd, you know, lying to oneself, being blinded voluntarily in order not to know how bad we are. Well, this is a moment in the church where we need to, uh, yes, take all these forms of action. But let's face it, most of us are not going to set up a committee in the archdiocese. Most of us are not going to, um, you know, carry out the investigation. You know, somebody asked me, well, fine, if there's an investigation, how do we know that the, the people in the investigation are going to be the right people? You know, how do you know if, if there's transparency, true transparency, or just the appearance of transparency? Well, I mean, at some point, it's out of our hands, right? It's out of my hands immediately. And if I don't, you know, if I'm not involved directly, then I, I just won't ever know. And, and chances are I won't be involved directly, you know, in being part of the solution in this way. But that doesn't mean that we're not part of the solution in another way. And I think that that's where we need to focus our attention because we can, you know, many times we can just fall into having many conversations with people end up criticizing everybody and their brother and then not realizing that what I need to do, I am not really doing, right? I am not really fulfilling my duty as a living white blood cell, so to speak, in the church that needs to clot the wound and needs to do something in the first person, even if I am not involved in all these investigations or setting up systems and so on and so forth. So what is it that I can do? Well, certainly you can make your voice heard, okay? That, that you can always do. But if you do make your voice heard, here's one suggestion I want to give you for all of us, really, is to be very respectful of the person of the Pope and of bishops, even if they may have made mistakes. 
and even if they have uh, done bad things. I think that we need to be respectful because whenever in the Bible somebody who is unjust but is in authority, whenever they are disrespected by someone, that person who is disrespectful of the unjust authority, let's say, is cursed and condemned, <laughs> you know? Think of starting with Noah. You know, Noah did bad things. He got drunk, he was naked, and he was acting irrationally. And one of his sons, Ham, made fun of him. You know, and you say, well, maybe maybe rightly so. But Ham gets condemned. He gets cursed. He doesn't get blessed by his father. And he gets punished. Uh, St. Paul himself, uh, before the, the Sanhedrin, in the Acts of the Apostles, is struck unjustly um, by a soldier who was ordered to do so by the high priest. And, uh, of course, Paul was not going to take that because that was unjust. And so what does he do? He defends himself. Paul being who he is, <laughs> you know, a man who will stand up for his rights, as he always did. He says... To the high priest, not knowing it was the high priest, he says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit there and try me by the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? And the text continues, but the bystanders said, do you insult God's high priest? And Paul said, and here's the point, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Interesting. Even the unjust high priest is, uh, you know, not, not to be insulted, you know, even if he has done something wrong, like in this case with St. Paul. This is something I think that we need to take to heart, that um, we can make our voice heard, and we can do all sorts of things. But whatever we do, whatever you decide to do, do it in the presence of God. Do it after much prayer. Do it after maybe penance as well, much penance, because we all need to do penance for our sins and the sins of all mankind. And then with a renewed and rectified intention, do it with all respect for the people that God has somehow placed and allowed to be in charge of his flock. And please don't get me wrong, those people who need to be brought to justice should be brought to justice. It's just that most of us will not be in a position to actually carry that out. And that's why we have to pray for the people who are in a position of responsibility to do that. And then leave it in God's hands, because that's all we can do. What we need to do right now is really do what this gospel passage that we read at the beginning uh, says. We have to wake Jesus up. It's not about taking oars, the oars, you know, of the boat and, and the sails and, and the ropes and all these things. The solution is not technical, and it's not human, really. Although we have to do many of those human things in order to change the culture, but primarily 
what we have to realize is that God is in charge of his church and God is in his church. And that is whom we have to wake up. Just like the apostles were tested by Jesus' sleep and apparent aloofness, we too are being tested in the same way. And we need to have more faith, more faith that he is here. I said at the beginning of the meditation that we should ask for God's mercy, Kyrie eleison, but right now we should also pray with the last words of the Bible, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come, O Lord, come to your church, make yourself present. You are present here, you know, but make yourself felt, make your presence felt. And this is exactly what, we pray for it's not so much about the human solutions although we have to do those things and and that's wonderful but don't think that your prayer and your sacrifice and your penance is less important in fact it is more important here's a quotation from ronald knox i am not advocating world movements or public meetings my appeal is rather to the individual conscience than to the public ear. My hope is rather to see the emergence of a saint than that of an organization. Hmm. The emergence of a saint. That's what this crisis has to provoke. It has to provoke the emergence of saints. You and me, you and I are called to be saints, as St. Maria reminds us so often. This is a personal call. We're all in the front lines. And first and foremost, I think we need to recommit ourselves to being disciples of Christ once again, personally. This is a personal call to sanctity. These world crises are crises of saints. This renowned phrase of St. Maria's is referring to two things. One is there's a crisis of saints, meaning there is no saints, and that's why there's a crisis of saints, like when there's a financial crisis, there's no money. But also, in another sense, that the crises of this world that we're living through now belong to the saints. They are of the saints to solve and to actually uh, deal with. And that's why... We have to be the ones, without being saints, because we're not saints yet, we're not canonized yet, but we're trying to be, if we are committed, we can be part of the solution. And we can recommit ourselves to our call to holiness. That's how we are going to overcome a lot of these problems. Why? Because at the end of the day, whether it was you know, the priests or the bishops or whomever, they all came from a family. And it was in the family that they learned or did not learn, you know, a lot of virtues that are now being called into play or have been called into play, uh, you know, in, in, during these times. Which, for instance, love for truth. Where do you learn love for truth? At home. Where do you learn honesty? Where do you learn uh, modesty, purity, service, charity, justice? fortitude, courage, all these things, you know, are 
learned at home. The church is made at home. The church is homemade. <laughs> the church begins at home. And this is exactly what we need now is we need strong families to actually form the future generation of the church in these values that somehow have not been transmitted, obviously, in some sectors. And to the point that there's a subculture that has been created like a tumor and has to be expelled, you know. This is the first thing. Am I recommitted to my call to holiness, to my being a disciple of the Lord? And that requires personal examination of conscience and personal confrontation with the truth in my life. What have I done that I could do better? What am I sorry for? It requires confession, confession of sins, right? But another thing that we could do is, besides being recommitted disciples, is recommitted witnesses, recommitted witnesses. And this means apostolate. We need to bear witness of how beautiful Jesus' bride, the church, is. And we need to carry out the great mandate of spreading this joy of the gospel. The joy of the gospel. It's a very important mission that we have. When we don't have a mission, we're stagnated. When we have a mission, we, we have a direction. And we have a love that cannot be contained. And that's what we have to pray for in the church. That the church, that our church in these difficult times is able to draw a newness, to be renewed again in its commitment to be missionary, to evangelize, to really portray and transmit the face of Christ so that others can see the face of Christ, not in a distorted way, but in a way that where we disappear and only Christ shines through. This is the point. Lastly, another thing we can do, besides recommitting ourselves to being disciples, recommitting ourselves to being witnesses, is rediscovering our priestly soul. And in this sense, we are mediators, disciples, witnesses, mediators of the new covenant. And as mediators, we are ambassadors of Christ on earth. We represent Christ, and not only represent him, but we also purify the church. We purify through our sacrifices. We purify through our offerings, through the mass especially, but also through our work and all the difficulties that we face. And then we unite to the mass in the state of grace. You know, And here's, I think we can make the words of the apocalypse, personal words, Behold, I make all things new. These are words of, of the Lord who basically says, I will renew everything that is old and decrepit and dead. I will make it new. I will make it come alive. I will resurrect it. And we can be part of that resurrection if we recommit ourselves to offering our work up, offering our duties up, offering our crosses up, our illnesses, everything that is difficult for us we should be making acts of reparation with and acts of offering to the Lord. This, in essence, is 
something we all can do, whether or not we are part of the movements and part of the petitions and part of the, you know, Catholic blogosphere, which sometimes even lacks unity and is, you know, hurting the church in other ways. Not everyone, but there are some that just maybe even lean towards schism. We have to avoid all that. Because if we are going to recover from this as a church, and we know the Lord will prevail eventually, you know, even, even as in the Bible, through a remnant of Israel, and maybe there will be a remnant of the church or something, we have to be part of that remnant that basically does not let go of all the elements that are original to the church. And one of those elements is unity with our Lord and his representative here on earth the Pope. So let us take to heart these thoughts, these considerations, these reflections that we can make in our prayer today so that we can actually participate actively in restoring the beauty of the body of Christ, the church, to its original and pristine condition. In the Book of Wisdom, there is a beautiful passage that I would like to close with because it is appropriate to this metaphor of the church being a boat. It is a kind of mysterious passage because it talks about a ship that is fragile. It's a piece of wood more fragile than the ship which carries the person and it says, for it was desire for gain that planned that vessel, and wisdom was the craftsman who built it. But it is your providence, O Father, that steers its course, because you have given it a path in the sea and a safe way through the waves, showing that you can save from every danger, so that even if a man lacks skill, <laughs> this is interesting, even if the man who is sailing lacks skill, he may put to see. It is your will that works of your wisdom should not be without effect. Therefore men trust their lives even to the smallest piece of wood, and passing through the billows on a raft, they come safely to land. Are we going to land in this in port beaten up? Perhaps. You know, we have suffered shipwreck, but those people who hang on to the piece of wood, they're the ones that actually make it alive. And we have to be among those people. But let us turn to Mary, our mother, and ask her to help us really trust on our Lord, wake him up, to wake him up, and to make his presence felt. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, and come, Lord Jesus, make your presence felt in the church. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.